It's May, it's Mother's Day month, and we are featuring a series of episodes, special episodes around the topic of mothers, mothers in all their facets. Mother Earth, real mothers, grandmothers. What does it mean? What does it bring? And what are the lessons? And what is the wisdom of motherhood? Today we are starting off with a look at a mother-daughter relationship within a Mother Earth respecting business. Mother Earth, Mother of Mine, lessons from a biodynamic family business, today here on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Sitarani Palomar. It's all about motherhood in this hour, and that includes motherhood of the earth, taking care of what supports and nurtures us in return. Before we dive into that topic, Sita, what do you got for us as a week's review? Something related? Something re Well, <laughs> I don't know. I suppose everything could be related in this wide world of relationships. But we, uh, we posted something on our Facebook page at the end of April in coordination with Chipotle's announcement to dramatically reduce the GMOs in the food that they are preparing. There was an article in the New York Times came out at the end of April that was really comprehensive on this decision. And this is, you know, in a lot of ways, not that big of a surprise because Chipotle has been a leader when it comes to cleaner food, as far as fast food restaurants go, for quite some time. And so the decision that they've made is the food that they are preparing to become as clean and free from genetically engineered ingredients as possible. So some of the exceptions are going to be, you know, they have soda and they recognize that it's possible that the soda that they are serving has genetically modified ingredients in it, corn syrup, et cetera, et cetera. But they're really looking at a lot of specifics. They have changed their oils. They used to use soy oil to fry their tortilla chips and, and also I think to do their fajitas. And now they're using non-GMO rice bran oil and sunflower oil and just a lot of changes to upgrade the food that they're serving. And I love this quote from founder Steve Ells, who says, just because food is served fast doesn't mean it has to be made with cheap raw ingredients, highly processed with preservatives and fillers and stabilizers and artificial colors and flavors. Yeah, what I find the most interesting in this conversation is the criticism Chipotle is getting. The spokesperson for UC Davis here in California was quoted saying, Chipotle is exploiting people's lack of sophistication about these issues and perpetuating pseudoscience. And I'm not sure why scientists have to criticize those decisions. Anyone who would like to eat GMOs can, of course, but I actually have never heard anyone walk into a restaurant and say, I would like, please, the GMO burger right there with some pickles. So if people who don't care about this issue are fine either way, why don't critics respect the people who don't want to eat GMOs by offering GMO-free options. I don't get it. It seems to be the moment you speak up around it, you're right now, there's a very aggressive tone in science that I'm seeing being scolded for, you know, having an opinion around it. 
It's actually even more interesting when you add the church aspect to it. The Catholic Church came out a few years ago saying that genetic engineering is a modern sin. So in this beautiful country, given our desire to respect religious rights, eating GMO-free food is actually a religious choice. So I, I don't understand the ground that critics have to take that away. <laughs> <laughs> that's, some, that's some powerful stuff. You chew on that, non-GMO foods. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Sita. So Chipotle, again, a leader amongst other, many other companies who are making more conscientious choices and have more transparent businesses. Wonderful. Applaud from our side. I champion them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is a celebration of Mother's Day and the meaning of motherhood. Mother Earth, Mother of Mine, a look at a biodynamic family business with two amazing guests, of course, mother and daughter here with us in the studio today. All that is coming up in just a minute. Stay tuned. <laughs> Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today, we are speaking with two wonderful guests about the roles, lessons, wisdom, and responsibilities learned and experienced in the change from daughter to mother to grandmother, all while making a care for Mother Earth a key part of their family business. But before we dive into that topic fully, as always, here's Sitarani Palomar with an update from the world of health and beauty. Sitarani Palomar, a.k.a. Chef Sita, and her holistic bite. Hmm, thank you, Helga. So I have been thinking a lot about melons since we had Earl on for What's in Season recently, and he was talking about melons showing up in our market. And I believe for the most part, the melons you're seeing right now are still imported. It's not quite warm enough in the United States to be getting the honeydew and the cantaloupe and the galea and the watermelon and all of those beautiful, juicy globes of joy. But I'm enjoying them nonetheless. I mean, they're here and it's getting hot and they're juicy and they have so many vitamins and minerals. And it's so easy 
easy to just enjoy them raw, just slice it up and eat it. But I wanted to share some of my other favorite ways to eat melon to hopefully expand your melon consumption and excitement around this fruit of the season. So the first one is agua fresca. And this is such a refreshing way to enjoy the melon and you and you still get all the fiber because when I make agua fresca, I don't put it through a juicer, I put it in a blender and I add some coconut water and either some lemon or some lime juice depending on the variety of melon I'm using, a little pinch of pink sea salt and the whole thing comes together and it's very, it's hydrating, it has a lot of electrolytes and potassium and it just feels like the best way to refresh your system on a hot day. And so, you know, coconut water with lime and honeydew is a really great combination or if you want to use watermelon and lime with a little bit of mint. There are so many combinations within this little mix of ingredients. Another thing you can do is make sorbet and I love making sorbet during the summertime when the fruit comes out because it's really very simple. If you take your fresh fruit and in this case we're talking about melons, chop it up and put it in the freezer. Then when you pull out these frozen chunks of melon and put it into a food processor, what it does is it purees the whole thing but it's a frozen like silky frozen concoction. And if you add just a little bit of liquid sweetener, it helps to keep it all bound together and makes it really have that like silky mouthfeel that you get from sorbets and a little bit of alcohol because like vodka or rum or tequila or something, even if it's just a half an ounce, what it's going to do is because alcohol doesn't freeze, it will prevent your sorbet from creating crystals. So this is a really cooling way to enjoy the melons while they're here and as they continue to be here throughout the summer. And then the last one is a little bit on the simple savory side, and that's to make lettuce wraps. And you can use butter lettuce, which is just about to come into abundance. You can use romaine leaves or collard greens. And I love to add fresh herbs because it really just brightens everything. And of course, herbs have a whole host of health benefits. So you can use cilantro or basil or even put in some chives and your chopped melon. And it could be that simple. Just dip it into a little vinaigrette after you wrap it around its lettuce leaf, or you can make it a little bit more fancy by adding chopped nuts, avocado, cheese, some some shredded carrot and jicama or cabbage, whatever you want. But just some more exciting ways to enjoy the abundance of the season. And if you have any ideas of your own other favorite ways to enjoy melons, please let us know. Facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation and enjoy the best of the season. Thank you, Sita. Wow, you had some melon this morning, I assume. No, I didn't, but I almost didn't. The, <laughs> it just this didn't early like... summer freshness is with you. The forest is with you. I actually <laughs> did have some delicious melon a couple of weekends ago when we went up to the Fry Vineyards for their picnic, their Earth Day picnic, and they had melon as part of the, the dessert. It was so fresh and juicy. Perfect. <sighs> what a segment. Segway. Mm. Segment. Segway. Thank you for both mm-hmm. the segment and the segway. Our t- topic in this hour is Mother's Day, literally, as our focus in this month of May is on mothers in all their beautiful facets. Mother Earth, mother of mine, look at a biodynamic family business in this hour. And with us in the studio are mother-daughter team and mother-mother team, Katrina Fry and Eliza Fry, executive director and the winemaker of Fry Vineyards. Thanks for coming in today. Beautiful. 
Thank you, Helga and Sita. Thanks for having us. Tell us about, you two are part of a pretty unique, truly special family business, a family-owned and operated biodynamic vineyard and farm, a place that is really all about relationships. Let's start with your relationship. Eliza, how did your mother influence your decision to become a, a vintner? So often as children, we, you know, that's the last thing we want to do. But how was it to grow up in an environment where it's so much about caring of the mother and being cared for by the mother? Yeah, well, I definitely grew up very close to the business. You know, my parents were both very involved throughout our whole childhood. We were four siblings. And so when I look back at it, it's almost as though I lived kind of a charmed childhood because uh, we got to live on a farm and a ranch, you know, so you had all of that freedom and all of that connection with nature. And I had the pleasure of getting out and exploring some of the world, you know, in my late teens and early 20s, and then made the decision to come back and live in Redwood Valley again and get involved in the business. And I like the flexibility that working in a family business can provide and also grew up with very strong values around organic farming and food production and so wanted to be a part of that as well and definitely you know watching my mom run the business I I had a pretty good reality about you know what I was getting into so so that worked well as well. What, what was the city appeal for you? Like, you know, when, when you grew up on a farm and yes, Charmed Life, we were just up there at Fry Vineyards a couple of weeks ago for Earth Day. And the moment you turn left onto the farm, you're greeted by four dozen dogs, it seems, and, <laughs> and animals and deer run around and there's baby goats. And there it's this microcosm of harmony. And yet, as a child, often there's a voice in us, which is important for our personal development, to look for the other, to look for the city, to you know, move to New York, whatever. Has that call ever happened for you? And, and what did you do with that? Yeah, I've gotten to spend some great time in other places. You know, as much as we could afford in terms of time and energy, my parents, we, we traveled a lot. But also, I was able to be an exchange student a couple times and got to live in some different urban environments in Mexico. I lived in the city of Querétaro for years. And there's a lot that I feel like that environment has to offer. And I really enjoy the culture and the diversity and the pace of the city and of urban life. But as I started to look at sort of settling down and, you know, getting involved in my husband and think of raising a family of our own, I feel like, you know, urban life is can sometimes oppress the modern experience in terms of people's lives and livelihoods. And so especially becoming a mother, I decided that I really wanted to have our home base be somewhere more rural and closer to the land. But yeah, I lived in North Carolina for several years and have gotten to travel to many different places in the world and have always appreciated that. And I feel like it definitely gave me the feeling that I was making the choice to live a more rural, you know, land-based life in terms of 
feeling cooped up out on the farm. <laughs> well, in addition to the the choice of where you wanted to live, it seems like, you know, the way you were talking about how you got to observe what it really took to run the farm, run the farm and the ranch and the vineyard, <laughs> all, all three in one, by watching your parents and your mom in particular, you knew what you were getting into, which is not always the case when we follow a career path. You know, we there are a lot of mysteries about what it's going to be like once we get inside a company. And, and also, you talk about the flexibility and the freedom. It seems like there may have been a lot of freedom to follow what was really purposeful for you. I mean, even at Fry Vineyards, you could have done any number of things, but you're doing winemaking. And, and maybe you had the opportunity to say, like, this is really where my passion is. And you were supported by a whole group of people to do that. Yeah, well, somewhat. You know, I'm part of the winemaking team. Right now, I'm actually pregnant with my second child. And mm. so I am working less than I have in the past decade. And, you know, it's interesting. I said that we I had a realistic picture of what was going on. But one of the things, too, is as a business grows and changes, you know, there's all kinds of growing pains and things that need to be adjusted for. And so there's a lot of things in the day-to-day flow of our work that maybe I wasn't as aware of. Yeah, but it's certainly I have the opportunity to be creative and to make some some choices about, you know, which direction and which focus that I have. So that's great. Katrina, as a as a mom, uh, as much as I'm sure you always wanted that your kids would stay or come back, what was that relationship knowing you are raising a child in this, you know, very close to earth biodynamic family business and you need to let her go you need to you know that's the hard part about earth and care and yes we're we're caring for it but it's not ours how did you deal with that and what did you observe well i always felt very blessed that i got to raise my children when they were young in an area where they had so much physical freedom because i think that's intrinsic to proper development of a human being is to have that that physical freedom and I my heart just breaks to think of how many children don't have a whisper of that the United States has changed so much in their attitudes to what's appropriate after school time for children when I was a child I didn't grow up on a farm or on a big piece of property I grew up in a little town in Michigan but we had a two block long stretch of neighborhood children and we it was a quiet enough street so if the ball ran into the street we could run out and get the ball and we roamed freely between these six different family houses and our parents didn't really know where we were and at the end of the long summer evenings we'd all go home so you know to me I was used to that and I was happy that my children got to do that but in more of a wild setting I mean, I mourned when my kids grew up and went to college. I remember Eliza being 17 and her being very clear that she was going to go to college all the way across the United States at a wonderful liberal arts college called Warren Wilson College. And I remember looking at her throughout that last six months that she was home and just sort of letting myself get into the emotion of her being gone. So when she finally did leave, it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was <laughs> going to be. And, you know, I was I was happy for her, for all the wonderful experiences that she had. And, you know, Eliza was always a very, very capable young woman. She literally started answering the phone at the winery when she was eight years old, and she did it in a very professional manner. She seemed to know what questions she could answer and when to put people on hold and when to go get help. So um, I saw a lot of potential there. 
And when she went to college, she studied environmental science with an emphasis on chemistry and Spanish as her majors. So what a great foundation mm. for a California winemaker. Were you getting your hopes up at that point? <laughs> Maybe a Not little really, bit? because she also, <laughs> you know, had she'd been an exchange student in Germany, Mexico. She went off to South America when she was done with college. So I had no idea really where she was going to end up in the world. But when she did, a few years later, come back, um, of course, we were thrilled. And I, what I really appreciated as she got more and more involved in the business was her logical mind and her ability to organize systems. And she's really concentrating on that right now, setting up flowcharts of you know different activities that have to happen in the winery. And she's venturing very successfully away from winemaking and helping us set up for example, our employee handbook, where suddenly we have 50 employees, about half of which aren't members of the family. So as she mentioned, we're in a pretty aggressive growth phase of the winery right now. So it helps so much. I mean, along with Eliza, we also have four or five other young women who are employees who bring to me, you know, who's 63, all of the their great skills with technology. Well, that covers the next thing that was kind of buzzing in in our head, which is the opportunity to learn from your daughter when she comes and she works and she's a professional and she's contributing so much. And these are just, it's what an opportunity to be working with your daughter as a colleague and be learning so much. And we want to explore that more, this amazing constellation really, so often not fully embraced in society of an honest mother-daughter relationship you, Eliza, now being a mother yourself. And with that, your mother has become a grandmother. And I'm sure you remember your grandmother, Katrina's mother still. So we want to look at that amazing constellation of overlap and things that maybe have always driven you crazy, Eliza, that you now realize, oh, um, absolutely, this is what you have to do as a mom, or this is just what you do. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com.
And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is Mother's Day. During the month of May, we're featuring different episodes with a focus on mothers, mothers in all their beautiful facets. Mother Earth, mother of mine, a look at a biodynamic family business, our topic in this hour. And with us here in the studio is Katrina Fry, the executive director of Fry Vineyards, and Eliza Fry, the winemaker of Fry Vineyards. And let's go right back into that question right before the break. Both of you are mothers. Both of you have experienced the grandmother. Now your children, Eliza, are experiencing Katrina as the grandmother. There's this amazing overlap of all angles that were experienced from childhood on to now you guys have both grown into it. And of course, there's still a generation apart from one another in your case. But you are both learning and you're both mothering. How is that, Katrina, for you to see Eliza grow up and become a mother? What What are you learning from her? And what do you remember with your mother and maybe even grandmother in this lineage of beautiful women and motherhood? Well, it's been very moving for me to watch Eliza become a mother. And probably the quality that I admire the most in her is her patience with her son. She has a very lively, bright, <laughs> strong-willed young son. He's, you know, one of those three-year-olds who's constantly testing and testing his boundaries, and I'm in awe of her quiet, patient response to him, making it very clear to him what, where his boundaries are, but also doing it in just such a calm, loving way and I don't remember being as calm a mother <laughs> as Eliza is. So she she found that quality in herself. How does motherhood change when you watch your daughter becoming a mother for you? Well, certainly. I mean, you know, I find myself reflecting back on some regrets that I had about pressures that I might have put on my young children that seem crazy now and inappropriate. But mostly it's just pure joy. I mean, everything they say about the wonders of being a grandparent, I like to say to my friends, it's as good as everybody tells you it's going to mm. be. It's delightful, you know, being with my little grandson. I also have two other grandsons who one is a little bit older and one is a little bit younger than both. From So we have four children, and our first three children have each had a little son. But for me, what I find being in their presence as it just pulls me right into the present moment where you let go of any kinds of thoughts or worries or, you know, what's going to happen next. And I think that's the joy of being a grandmother. You don't have to worry quite so much about how you're going to get all the laundry done and the dinner done. You can mm -hmm. just stop and really play and enjoy them. And they They love it that I'm a grandmother who will play with them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is such a special thing, actually, here. We were talking about what a, a blessing it is to be working with your daughter and learning from your daughter, but also to be with her as she's raising her children. And boy, that's 
that's a really fortunate constellation. Eliza, I have a question for you about what it's like to, because we talked a little bit to Katrina about what it was like to have you grow up on the farm, vineyard, ranch, but now you're seeing your child growing up. And, and how how do you see that differ growing up in an environment like that than than what it seems like, you know, people who don't get to grow up on, an, on an, a ranch and a farm? And, from a pretty young age, whenever I conceived of having children, I always thought, oh, well, I would want them to be raised at the ranch because it's just, um, I just feel like it's this foundation of the connection with the natural world, but also the connection of the family. So my dad is one of 12 children and 10 of them and their families live on our extended family property. So there's, you know, several people. So getting to, as a parent, it's actually a huge treat because there's this certain amount of pressure that's taken off when you have uncles, aunts, his grandparents, his great-grandmother. My husband's family happens to live right down the road, his parents. And so I think it takes off a lot of the pressure of parenting because you know that they're learning lessons and having relationships with people other than yourself. And I feel like... You know, if we lived in some city and had a very small circle of friends, it would just be all on my husband and I to provide our kids with, you know, every experience they have, every relationship, all of their frame of reference. So for myself, it's a huge blessing and it's definitely this way that I can relax because I know that he has all of these other strong relationships. And then for him, just to see him... Gosh, he's so comfortable with people and a very outgoing person naturally, I'm discovering. And so to be able to have those, the, just the constellation of the matriarchal lineage, but also just that extended family. And it's not something that a lot of people have in, in this country anymore. How has your relationship to motherhood, in this case, being raised by Katrina or being raised by your grandmother, changed now that you've become a mother in a mother of two for yourself yeah well it's interesting I mean I feel like it was probably the biggest kind of lightning bolt aha moment of my life when my son was born and I was just flooded with this understanding of the whole idea of unconditional motherly love because and I think as women too relationships with our mothers can be very complex you know we're trying to navigate our way in the world as mothers and There were times in my adolescence when I, you know, could come up with all kinds of crazy ideas that, you know, your mom's trying to control you or manipulate you in some way or something like that. And it was like almost the moment that my son was born, I just realized, oh, you know, obviously my mom just loves me and wants me to find my way. So that was just really beautiful to kind of let go of any ideas of feeling controlled or manipulated or anything like that and just to really feel the love just the love you know and and just really um and like you were saying or asking Katrina you know did you hope that she came back or that whole thing of letting what you love go free you know I'm I'm experiencing that now of just understanding and I'm very curious to see what my next child will be like that each person is an individual and you have to let them but kind your of son find is, their own your son path. is four He'll, he's, Has he he's told you yet. he's actually leaving? <laughs> no. Wow. no, we've got him for a while, but the way that he is, he could end up anywhere. He's, he's a wild one. Yeah, yeah, but, but certainly, um, yeah, that realization that it is all about love, and that's, I think, where most mothers are really coming from. So, yeah, that was a big one for me. It's beautiful to observe how, because we've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time at Fry Vineyards and see children running around on the farm, vineyard ranch. (laughs) 
and what they're learning about their love of nature and of animals. I mean, we were there, like I said, a few weekends ago, and and I suppose, Eliza, it would be your nephew, who's about seven years old. Osiris. Osiris. And, you know, we've seen him for multiple years on the farm, and he has, you know, quote-unquote chores, I suppose is what you would call them, but it's actually like taking care of the baby goats and the lambs and the ducklings, and they're real responsibilities, but they're also just these incredible life skills on this incredible environment it's just it's it's such a fortunate thing to see how children develop their relationship to land and to other living creatures in that kind of environment i do want to bring that what you're saying sita to the biodynamic aspect fry vineyards has been a biodynamic organic farm for decades and if there was one thing that both of you learned by being influenced through this biodynamic angle to be a mother yourself, what would that come down to? Like, what is the single most important relationship to Mother Earth as a biodynamic farmer and winemaker that taught you how to be perhaps a, a better birth mother to, to your own children? Eliza, do you want to Yeah, start? Yeah, well, I think farming, one of the beautiful things about farming and working with plants and animals is really understanding, you know, that burden of care, but also that it's a service, you know. And so for um, children who get to raise up seeing the rhythms and the cycles of life, I think those are really important lessons. We learn that when things are neglected and not paid attention to, that they can't thrive and flourish. And so, um, and also, Sita, like you were saying, just concrete skills with your physical body and in the physical world. And I feel like that's something, you know, we have so much technology in the modern world. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily get a lot of hands on concrete experience with life and life rhythms. And that's something that biodynamic farming certainly embraces and sees as intrinsic to the whole health and cycle of life. My son already understands the whole life cycle of grapes. You know, his dad is a grape farmer and he he gets it. He knows that grapes come in once a year. They don't you don't, you don't have them in December. He gets excited because he knows that the strawberries are ripe now. You know, all of these cycles that he's aware of that just make him understand that care is necessary and that things come in due time. And so there's patience there. There's the lesson of responsibility. Missing, maybe even, right, missing strawberries in, in January because they're just not there. Sure, and yeah. So, yeah, definitely understanding that we can't always have what we want when right when we want it, which is not something that the modern world yes. is, is really teaching mm. a lot of children. So, mm. so those lessons of rhythm and time and res- responsibility and care, really. Katrina, how about you? I was thinking about a workshop I took once at Hawthorne Valley Farm, which is a wonderful anthroposophical biodynamic farm in New York. And one of the teachers was talking about a good biodynamic farmer walking through their fields every day and really looking at each plant or, you know, each row of where of where they were walking. And then, you know, the idea of being a parent and looking at your child carefully, you know, throughout the day. But then the same farmer was saying that once a week she likes to go to the top of the hill and look at the farm as a whole to see which way the wind is blowing, to look at the little stream flowing down, to look at the color, the overall color of the different patches of 
crops and how important that is in parenting. If you can take a minute at the end of the day, the child is asleep to try to look at their whole being, you know, that threefold nature that Steiner talks about with head, hearts, and hands, and how to help form them with all those different senses alive and well. I love that you said right in the beginning that that as a society, even with after-school programs, even if you just get a glimpse of it, even if you can just incorporate it once a week, that connection to nature you can't replace by anything else. It's either that or you don't have it. And the lessons inherent in, in that relationship and in observing what's going on, farm or not, natural environments, whatever they may be for you. But if we live in this technology-driven world, there, there are no seasons. So yeah, both of you, thank you so much for sharing that wisdom. I think that you two are, are in such a unique position to offer experiences of what it's like to take care of children and take care of the land and draw the parallels and learn one from the other and vice versa. I think anybody listening to this is going to appreciate everything that you shared from your personal experience. I know I do. Thank you. And good luck for that new upcoming life. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic for the month of May are different episodes with the focus on motherhood in honor of Mother's Day for all the mothers around the world. And this was Mother Earth, Mother of Mine, a look at a biodynamic family business, Fry Vineyards, with Katrina Fry, the executive director and mother as well as Eliza Fry, winemaker, and also mother and daughter, as we all are mothers and daughters, I guess. (laughs) We'll be back with more in just a minute. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Mother Earth, Mother of Mine, Lessons from a Biodynamic Family Business. Today on an organic conversation in honor of Mother's Day, month of May. Several episodes around the topic of mothering and motherhood. You know, they both recognized and, and shared with us that they feel, they feel really fortunate and uniquely blessed to have raised their children on a farm, to have all of this space, and that that just isn't the reality for everyone, and that there are still just so many ways to engage with the natural world and, and enjoy all of the benefits of these lessons 
in the wherever environment you are, wherever environment you are raising your children. Yeah, we talked about that with Katrina during the break that, you know, whoever sails the ocean for a year, many people can't do that. And yet we need to hear what that's like in order to reflect the wisdom in it back to us. If you build your life on a city basis, you don't have the changes of seasons the way you have in land or traveling. And so I think we need to reinfuse society with those stories, with the wisdom of people who live at a farm and observe life from a completely different vantage point than most of us do, or travel or you know sail the oceans. We had Pierre-Yves Cousteau, the son of Jacques Cousteau, on the show a while back, and he was talking from the perspective of underwater. He was sure. talking about the perspective of life as a diver. Those are all things and experiences that we don't have, really, the average person and the movement from land to city is dramatic around the world. So we are losing that perspective and that wisdom. And so keeping some kind of thin thread alive to that world, whether it's watching a flower consciously for a couple minutes every day or growing your own herbs on your windowsill, like what's your connection to nature and how can you keep it? Can you you know, have your hand on a tree once a day. And what does that do for you? It's just, it's amazing. We know the importance of nature in our lives now and we can, there are many tools to keep that thin thread alive and we must. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Switching gears, but staying with a very similar topic, if not the identical topic, from biodynamic and organic winemaking to produce What's coming up is the overview from the produce doc and what's going on in the world of soil, farms, and fruits and vegetables. Here's what's in season. And I'm realizing that I've never played this song out fully, but I'll do that. I just need to make sure... Earl is aligned with that. And that's who is on the phone with us now, of course, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Organic himself of Earl's Organic Produce, Earl Herrick. Earl, are you there? Hello, Helga. <laughs> hey there. Are you there? I'm here, and I think we need to make you a T-shirt that says Mr. Organic. I think this is the second time I've made this okay, suggestion. I accept it. We're going to make the T-shirt and take a photo and put it on Very the website. Very fun. We will. <laughs> we'll post that. Yes, Earl, we will. Earl, happy Mother's Day. Ah. It's an amazing time. Yeah. Uh, we have dedicated the entire month of May to feature the wisdom of motherhood and mothers in all facets, grandmothers, young mothers. How apropos to talk about organic food and Mother Earth. Beginning of May, we're not mm. quite in the full flesh of spring or early summer production, I assume, but what is happening? Well, you're right. Uh, where we are is, you know, the farmer can go out into his area, into his farm, and see everything sprouting up. <laughs> many things, many things just starting production. For example, blueberries. Uh, I know we've talked about blueberries uh, a couple times, I think, in the, in, the, in the winter and earlier spring, but right now is when the season really starts. Historically, May 1 is when the early season starts. But we've seen a lot of changes in that blueberries, antioxidants, the last five years, a lot of acreage has been planted in response to the high popularity and, and the knowledge of antioxidants. And so what was once... Uh, a very expensive April 
with product, even though it is so more expensive, it is a little cheaper. And, and what's happened? Like I said, more production with the idea in mind is to get the early market. And the early market, the advantage there is there's less competition sure. and get higher prices. Well, so many people have gotten on the bandwagon is that, well, the production's pretty strong now. So great for the end user, great for us in terms of what we want and, and what we'll pay. It's just kind of a little surprise for some of the growers going, oh, I'm going to have a big payday. Well, maybe not so much going to last for a good another month or six weeks in California and then go full force into Oregon and Washington and even British Columbia. Oh, really? And what prices are we seeing? Three ninety nine, four ninety nine. Yeah, yeah exactly. There. That's uh-huh. what you're seeing. Now, you could get some real aggressive stuff. Maybe, well, I, you might see some two for a two for five dollars, mm-hmm. maybe three for ten. These are six ounce. Now, you're also going to see a larger container, which is considered a pint, and there's even bigger configurations, which you might call a family pack, which could be a full pound. So, you know, lots of options. The fruit is a, it's a great year. The weather's been outstanding. It's been a little hot. There's been maybe a little bit of loss, but the quality has been outstanding. Very sweet because the heat brings on the sugar and the size. There's some beautiful large fruit, but there's also some very tasty smaller berries. Very, very good season. Well, usually competition also increases quality, right? Because you do want to yep. have, you want to be competitive in the marketplace, not just on price, but on quality and product, which is something you really pay attention to. That's been the swing in the market, if you will, for the last, I'll say 30 years, when produce really started to get front and center in retail uh, places and farmers markets became more popular. The focus shifted from a price-driven, mm-hmm. everything's cheap, to another value, and that is flavor. I mean, I still run into people who say, I don't like peaches, and then you give them a taste of a good peach, they go, oh, look what I've been missing. Blueberries the same way. Early in the season, they're maybe a little tart. Uh, as the season goes on, gets more sugar. But all along, you've got some very interesting flavors going on. And they're hardy as heck, meaning you don't have to worry about them going bad in a day or two. Blueberries, of all the berries, store the best. And, of course, you can always freeze them. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, with blackberries, often if you I, – I love all berries, really. But uh, raspberries or blackberries, if you don't eat them that day, you might find you know a moldy one a day later already. They're just really sensitive. And with, yes. with um, blueberries – Wow, if you get a fresh pint, besides, you know, you can just eat them by the handful, which I don't remember ever doing as a child. It was just not available, uh, even in in Germany, where we have lots of blueberries. But it's just, it seemed like a novelty if you had a few on your cake or if you had a few in your dish. Mm. Now, it's one of those hand foods that you always talk about, where you can actually go to the store, you can buy a pint, and that's what you eat. That's your lunch. It's a pint of blueberries. And it's, you know, two ninety nine, three ninety nine, and so fresh. And if you don't eat them, yes, they do last for three, four days, and they almost don't lose their perkiness. It's just an amazing change how blueberries have become kind of part of society now. Yeah, and, and my recommendation is always buy two because you're going to eat one by the time you get home. <laughs> it's so um, true. They're just that good. You're going to take, I say, well, I'm going to try them because see how they good they are. They go, oh, my goodness, you stop at a stoplight and bingo, you're, you're down. A couple characteristics you want to look at, you want to be aware of as you're buying, and that is they should have kind of a, almost a dusty hue. We call that the bloom. 
that is a very good sign. That's a sign of freshness. Now, that's not to say if they don't have that, they're going to be bad, but it's more of an assurance of when it does have that bloom, you're pretty ensured they're, they're really fresh. And, again, continue that recommendation. Ask for samples because he knows that or she, the produce person, knows these are good. This sample is going to sell them. They'll have no problem if, if in fact, they already, already have a couple uh, containers already out there as samples. That is actually how I've learned to buy to buy blueberries. I mean, you talk about whether or not you like blueberries because you haven't necessarily had really good blueberries or blueberries that have the right balance of sweet and tart that you like. The way you learn it is by sampling it when you go in. And then you just hit the right week. Or the right, yeah. or the you know the right span of a couple of weeks, where you said this is exactly how I like them, and fortunately because they hold up well, you can buy enough for the week, maybe. Yeah, and I I, I don't freeze them personally, but I know many people do, and that is a great idea when you find that window, however long that is, bingo, that's the time to buy, and also if that price is where it's going to go, they're they're going to get maybe a little cheaper. It's so much about supply and demand and, and what the market is doing and, and what the retailers are doing. A lot of them like to go head-to-head. So if somebody goes out at uh, two ninety nine, somebody else is going to go two for $5. So it, it can be a lot of fun. And there are lots of different labels. There's, there's several different growing areas. Try to familiarize yourself with them because they generally are, are very – what do I want to Dis- say? Distinctive. Regular. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. They, you know, one sure. year, they're generally, blueberries are, are fairly steady. So when you find something you like, you know, I, I think it's a good uh, place to start the next year. And it's interesting, the dust, the hue that you are talking about, that little light, you know, the bloom, the, the light mm-hmm. blue um, powder that you can rub off. I always try to avoid that because I thought this was bad. But <laughs> it's one of those things that, I mean, I've learned this now over the years from you. To, to look for produce differently, but how often do we avoid the best box by not knowing exactly what it should look like? It's just amazing. Yeah. And favorite way of eating other than just popping them in your mouth? Sita, uh, cooking, is that easy? Is it easy to cook with blueberries? It, it is, actually. I mean, blueberries cook very quickly and they burst very quickly, so you can make a blueberry syrup very easily to put over breakfast pancakes and and to mix into drinks or to put over ice cream. I mean, it's very simple to do. You just put your blueberries in a stovetop pot and add a little maple syrup or brown rice syrup or something that's just nice and thick and delicious. Thank you, Earl. That's amazing. Blueberry is where it's at. And look for that hue on the blueberries and for prices that will come down and the quality will remain amazing this year. And yes, get your antioxidant fix. <laughs> yes, and mothers love blueberries. That's true. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Good reminder. Breakfast yes. in bed. We're in May. This is Mother's Day. Thank you, Earl, so much for that You're update. Welcome. And we'll have you back next week. Thanks, Looking forward Earl. to it. Talk soon. Take care. Bye. Bye now. Mm-mm-mm, blueberries. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Ah, oh, delicious. Can you do a holistic bite around blueberry use? You know when you make pancakes and it all becomes blue, soggy at the, <laughs> I do at the know bottom? What, I know exactly what you're talking about. In fact, unfortunately, I'm I'm like one of the world's worst pancake makers. I've never been good at making pancakes, even though I know how to do it traditionally. But yes, I will do that. I will, do, okay. And I've got a tip for muffins, too, because I hate when the muffins all sink to the bottom and the bottom is all blue and soggy. And Okay, yes, ne- next week, Sita's holistic but, bite on how to use blueberries properly. I will do that, but... Speaking of holistic bites, 
Katrina and Eliza had some wonderful suggestions on what to do with watermelons, some other creative way, not just watermelons, but any kind of melon. And um, Katrina had all of these leftover beautiful melons from the picnic that we told you about, and she actually served them with kumquat. And so she was with one of her, I think one of her grandchildren, or or maybe one of her grandnephews. But anyway, they decided to juice all of this leftover melon that they had, and the kumquats were with it. And the, and the young boy was putting the kumquats through the juicers as well. And she said that unexpectedly, this flavor was so phenomenal from that tart citrusy of the kumquat with the honeydew and a little bit of watermelon. And so that was one suggestion. And then um, Eliza's suggestion was she likes to make um, a salad with watermelon. And it's actually kind of like a salsa because she uses watermelon and red onion and cilantro and various other things. So if you think about making a homemade salsa or a homemade pico de gallo, but you use watermelon instead, that's another fantastic flavor combination and unique way to enjoy melons lovely and that biodynamic wisdom is just so informative and beautiful and such a good lesson um yes thank you sita for capturing that for us i love when people bring in their suggestions (laughs) we all benefit (laughs) this is an organic conversation i'm helga helberg and i'm sita ronnie palomar and we'll be back with another episode next week see See you then. then An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash an organic conversation thank you for your contribution an organic conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters earl's organic produce a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store home or business since 1988 the website is earlsorganic.com and also fry vineyards america's first certified organic winery producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.